Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Um, our sponsors for the second hour are Merrick's Gold, Visible Gold Mines, Lucky Strike Resources, RX Gold, Inc., and Legend Gold Corp. Well, we're back with Richard Mayberry here, and before the break, uh, Richard, we were talking a little bit, or I was talking a lot, and you're the guy that's supposed to be talking, so I better shut my pie hole and let you do some talking. I was, uh, I was mentioning this whole thing about velocity. You were talking about velocity, and I, my question to you now as we come back on this side of the break is, what would cause the average Joe to start having confidence again, to start spending money instead of ho- holding on to it? Well, um, I've seen some studies done on this, and one of the the points that, that seems to come out all the time is that just handing people a lump of money, regardless of the size of the lump, has nothing to do with changing their spending habits. Hmm. Usually, if they are in a frightened condition, uh, and you hand them what, you hand them a million bucks, let's say, they save it huh. because because they're still frightened. Um, whatever it is in the economy that's scaring them hasn't gone away yet, and they don't know, even if you give them a million dollars, they don't know what's going to happen to them when that million runs out, and so they try to save as much as they can. What changes their behavior is to give them a steady flow of money that they feel they can count on so that when the initial check rolls in and that's spent, they know there's another check coming and then another one after that and so on. And you can actually give them a lot less money under those circumstances as long as you keep it coming in steadily, and that will loosen them up. That will give them confidence in their futures. They know they're not going to starve, so um, they're willing to go out and spend some more. Um, now, I, you don't know you know what these economic advisors are telling uh obama um that's that's the big problem i mean he he's he was trained to be a socialist so he went out and hired a bunch of advisors who were socialists and they're all telling him you got to try these socialist schemes right you you don't know uh, what what's really going to happen but my guess is that they are thinking of some new socialist scheme where they're going to just hand everybody a check every month or something like that, some steady supply. And that would cause, in my opinion, it would cause velocity to rise and have the mm-hmm. same effect as an increase in the money supply. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly I think uh, Ron Paul would agree with you that that's the kind of thing that's likely to come down the pike. And he made the point when I talked to him on this show some time ago that, Everything's in place now. It's very easy to do. You know, we saw, of course, during Katrina, people lining up for their $3,000 checks. Uh, I would imagine you can just simply, you know, send people money in through like they do Social Security, but you do have to be in the system for that. There's a lot of people, of course, that are not necessarily in the system. They're here as illegals or what have you. But in any event, I, I get the point that that's probably what – it's not just a lump sum. It's the notion that you're going to have a steady supply uh, a steady flow of money that you can use for life's um, for sustaining life and, and then feeling confident again. Yeah, but we have I, real quick. I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if they come out with some sort of a national guaranteed income, where mm-hmm. everybody is brought up to a given level of income. Oh, uh-huh. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a very interesting point. Well, you know, we we talked uh, in the first hour. We talked a little bit about. Uh, the, uh, the the return to sort of honest money. Uh, and in your last letter, you talked a lot about 1971, the significance of 1971, mm-hmm. uh, when Richard Nixon detached gold from the uh, you know from the dollar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you and you talked a lot about all of the harm that's come as a result of that. Would you talk to our listeners just a little bit about that, the malinvestment that flowed from it? And then I'd like to get into this issue of going back to honest money and whether you think that can happen. But but first of all, just 
for those that might not be perhaps the younger listeners among us who may be not that familiar with 1971, I'm, I'm old enough to remember it well. August, uh, I think, 15th it was, and reading about it in the New York Times and riding on the train into Manhattan from my home in New Jersey at that time. I thought it was earth-shattering, and it's turned out to be earth-shattering. Actually, Richard, I'm surprised that it's lasted this long, that this fiat currency has lasted this long. But tell our listeners about the damage that's caused. Well, uh, in 1971, um, the uh, the federal government was again broke. <laughs> They're always broke. Yeah. And... Um, uh, they were looking, well, what was happening was at that time, the dollar was still a receipt for gold stored in Fort Knox or, or uh, the New York Federal Reserve Bank or someplace like that, so that um, Americans could not, Americans were an exception. They weren't allowed to go get their gold, mm-hmm. but people in the rest of the world could could say to the U.S. government, here's a $10 bill, I want $10 worth of gold. And the federal government would have to go to its gold stores and pull that gold out and give it to the person, trade him the gold for the, the 10 bucks. Well, uh, the whole world realized uh, that, or at least the informed people realized, that the federal government had printed way more dollars than it had gold to back them. And so everybody was scared to death that uh, the federal government would run out of the gold before they got theirs. And so they they were coming to the United States to get their gold, essentially. This is a simplification, but this mm-hmm. is the point. Sure. They're coming to the U.S. to get their gold, and they're being led by the French. Yep. The French, the French had a lot of history of, of being swindled by their governments, and they knew this was another swindle. So they were coming to the United States to get their gold. And so what Richard Nixon did is, is you know, the expression is he slammed the gold window shut. And when essentially he announced to the whole world, we know we promised to give you this gold for these dollars, but, you know, we lied. And uh, we're not going to do it. We're just going to hang on to the gold, and you've got your paper dollars, and that's all you're ever going to get is paper mm-hmm. dollars. Mm-hmm. And, and then everybody held their breath, waiting to to find out if the rest of the world would go along with this. What well, you know, would a Frenchman who couldn't get gold for his dollars still be able to go someplace and buy something with dollars? Would the people accept the dollars? And it turned out they did. And all the governments around the world went along with the scam and they cut off their gold backing too. Mm-hmm. So in one fell swoop in that one year The whole world went from using gold as money to using paper as money. Mm -hmm. And that enabled all governments to print as much money as they wanted. They they all just became these crazy counterfeiters, um, printing paper money like crazy. And they've been doing that for 40 years. Now, one of the, the points that I make in my September newsletter is that the... This was an experiment. The world had been using gold as money for thousands of years, and Richard Nixon comes along and says, well, let's stop doing that, and everybody went along with him. And and so the whole world, we've all been guinea pigs in this 40-year experiment. One of the results of that experiment is that the um, the federal government can print as much money as it wants to buy whatever it wants, and so the money, you know, when it's injected into the economy, it does not descend on the economy in a uniform blanket. We don't all get exactly the same amount of money. Mm-hmm. Some of us get huge piles of it. Others get none at all. Others get a little bit. And so it's distributed unevenly around the economy, and it flows into different parts of the economy, usually the hot spots. If there's something that's fashionable, like, let's say, real estate in California, then um, a huge amount of the money will flow into those fashionable things, and businesses will crowd in there trying to take advantage of these flows of money, and you'll have new businesses created. Other businesses will be expanded in these areas, these hot spots, and and everything will be hunky-dory as long as the government keeps pumping money into the hot spot. But at some point, the government gets scared that they're printing too much money and it's losing its value, so they'd better stop. 
And so they do stop, and then the money flowing to all of these expanded businesses stops. Mm -hmm. The flow stops, and those areas crash, and that's the beginning of, of what we call a depression, the shakeout of the malinvestment. Mm -hmm. um, now, usually the government immediately realizes that it, it um, has triggered off the beginning of a depression, and then they start printing again. So the depression is cut short. And this, this um, depression that's not allowed to go all the way is what we call a recession. Mm -hmm. So um, the, a lot of the malinvestment is, is revived. Um, more malinvestment is created in other areas. And uh, you just have this gradually accumulating malinvestment all over the country, all, all over the world. And uh, that has to eventually be shaken out. And that's the situation we're in today. They, they have to keep pumping out huge amounts of money to keep the malinvestment alive because if they stop, you know, you start immediately going into the depression. And that's mm -hmm. actually where we are right now. Yeah. In, my, in my June newsletter, I predicted that when QE2, quantitative easing 2, was halted in um, August, that um, we would immediately start to fall back into a depression. Mm -hmm. and, and that's Austrian economics speaking, mm -hmm. and it was right on the money. It was yeah. perfectly on target. My, my readers knew exactly what was going to happen, and it's happening now. So now the federal government is up against this, this, uh, this threat where if they don't start printing more money really quick, mm -hmm. These, these pockets of malinvestment are going to continue collapsing and we're going to be in a depression. Um, and if they do start printing it, they run the risk of devaluing the dollar so much that they'll trigger off a run and the whole world will flee from the dollar and the dollar will become worthless. And they go to stuff, and probably gold and silver primarily, which is happening. I mean, we're seeing it. Right. Richard, it seems to me that what we're seeing is an acceleration of this trend now. It's not... It seems to me that more and more money has to be printed faster and faster. Right. The time between these new printing episodes is is drawing is becoming shorter. Right. And but the accumulation of the malinvestment is greater and greater from Right. Right. So that so that the real wealth that's being produced in the economy isn't sufficient to service the debt and to do all the things that people are have been accustomed to to having the lifestyle especially of the west. Mm. You know, when you're talking about this dollar uh, debasement um that resulted from Nixon taking us off the gold the international gold standard in 71, I remember back then the Vietnam War was going on and there were two programs. There was Johnson Socialism and the Vietnam War and we were printing money they weren't going to tax people because if they tax people they would understand, people would understand that they were going to be paying for this war, they're going to be paying for socialism, and the politicians understood people didn't want to do that. So what they did, so what we did is print money, and De Gaulle, and as you explained so well, you know, the rest of the world said, don't give us those dollars, give us the real thing, give us gold, give us real money, give us an asset-based money, not your liability crap. And, and, uh, and so what, I think by taking us off the gold standard, that made it possible for the United States, because the rest of the world still... We still use the dollar as the world's reserve currency, still to a great extent today yet, it's still the world's reserve currency. That allowed us then, did it not, to go out and start expanding our military presence around the world. Yes, definitely. It, it, it was uh, Printing the money was a way to finance the expansion of the U.S. military empire. Um, I think uh, last I looked, the U.S. has troops in like 144 countries. Yeah, um, that might be down a little bit. It might be down in the 130s now. <laughs> yeah, but, just 130. Yeah, but essentially, the U.S. government has a global empire, just like the British government did in the 19th century, and uh, they got to pay for it. It's expensive, and there's right. money to do it. Right. Well, we used that was a deceitful tactic. I mean, let's face it: the politicians didn't want to tell people they were going to pay for the war. Of course, they were, and we did. We paid with inflation in the 1970s. We paid for socialism also with uh, with money that was that was created out of thin air, but deceit seems to be uh, used so commonly by governments. I mean, and honestly, uh, I, I did mention to you before we came on the air that I had uh, Vincent Bugliosi on my show recently, well, just last week, in fact, and he talked about his book that's uh, that he's published, the prosecution of George W. Bush for murder. Um, 
and he's going to soon be putting out, there's going to be a documentary film that's done out of Hollywood that's going to use this book as a background. And Bugliosi really makes the point very, very, very well, I think, uh, you know, in terms of the deceit that uh, George Bush used um, falsehoods to go to war, that Saddam was going to attack us, uh, even though the CIA, uh, you know, numerous people in the reports in the CIA said otherwise, and they they didn't allow that information to come out to the Congress. And then, uh, according to Bugliosi, there there was even uh, an attempt or, or discussion from Bush and, and Tony Blair and others that um, uh, how we might antagonize, antagonize Saddam to strike us so we could go to war with him if we failed to find weapons of mass destruction. Well, this is very disturbing to me. Uh, it should be disturbing to all Americans. I, I must say I'm not terribly surprised by it. But um, Bugliosi is, is really dead serious about taking this um, a step further and actually is is looking into prosecuting George W. Bush in a local court for murder, the murder being of American servicemen who were led to their deaths because of falsehoods. There was no, there was no, uh, you know, that there was no reason to go to war, uh, certainly not the reasons that were given, um, that we were, that the United States was under attack or were going to be attacked by Saddam Hussein. So what I'm, I'm wondering from you is, let's say that Bugliosi goes forward, and he goes to a, a local court somewhere, and he is um, and he is victorious in in getting a a decision against George W. Bush for murder. How do you think that would play out in America? Would that inflame uh, the situation? I mean, I for one believe that truth is what needs to be known, and they say that the first casualty of war is truth a lot of times. Yep. But 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 the people need to know what's going on. I believe, and it, it could very well stir up some people. But what are your thoughts? Do what are your thoughts on this? Do you think um, do you think he should go forward with this? Um, well, I would like to see it myself. Um... And uh, and I as I agree with you. I mean, it, you know, the truth should come out. Um, but the reason the truth hasn't already come out because because what you're saying about about Bush getting into the war under false pretenses, everybody can access that information already. It, you know, it's it's not any kind of big secret. Uh, you can go look at the events leading up to the Iraq War and mm-hmm. and uh, pretty easily see that that's what happened. Um, but the reason people don't get mad about it is they don't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been taught that um, the country and the government are the same thing mm-hmm. and that they are obligated to be loyal to their government because the government is the country. And um, whenever they hear something like this, they, you know, most of them just turn off to it um, immediately because they feel like, I think a lot of them at least feel that they're being uh, kind of traitorous mm-hmm. by listening to something bad about the president. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, there's some part, part of the population that will be glad to hear it, but it isn't going to be a very big part. Mm-hmm. Well, Vincent uh, Bugliosi makes the point uh, that there is still something, a, a concept of justice in this world. I think you've uh, written or talked about whatever happened to justice in America. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, I mean, this would be justice, would it not? I mean, assuming that, that, that he's guilty of, of the things that he's, that he's charged with. Yeah, yeah, sure. I, I, I fully believe it. I mean, I, I believe the guy is guilty. Um, I know enough about that war to be absolutely convinced that... Uh, it wasn't Saddam Hussein who started it. It was George Bush. Yeah. And and one of the reasons that I find that easy to to believe is that I've done a huge amount of research on World War II, and essentially Franklin Roosevelt did the same thing. Um, people don't realize that at the Atlantic Charter Conference, he um, he and and Churchill had secret meetings, and um, it, the evidence is very strong that what Roosevelt said was, you know, I've, I've still, you know, the New Deal hasn't worked. I've still got an unemployment rate of, I think it was 17%. Mm-hmm. And um, I've, I've got to do something, and I'm looking for a way to get into the war. And what he did, and you can find this in, in newspapers and, and other sources from the time, he cut off the Japanese oil supply. Right. He also secretly sent cruisers and destroyers into Japanese home waters. Mm-hmm. He invaded Japanese home waters with mm-hmm. uh, U.S. Navy warships. Mm-hmm. 
Um, now, that was secret at the time. The population didn't know that. It wasn't in the newspapers, but we know it now. Mm -hmm. So he deliberately goaded the Japanese into attacking Pearl Harbor, and, and that's how he got into the war. Um, and, and so, you know, pre people don't want to hear that their president would deceive them into mm -hmm. getting into a war, mm -hmm. but that's what, what the government does. This is not the American government that we're living under. Yeah. This, you know, you got to keep coming back to that. that if you, you brought all the American founders back, you know, Thomas Jefferson and James Madison and Patrick Henry and all the rest, and you showed them the U.S. government, they would say, what's that? don't recognize it has no resemblance to what we were planning on yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it go ahead, go ahead. Uh, yeah so um, they're they're definitely um, you say it's not the American government it's the government that we have now but it's not certainly the intended government that that our founding fathers uh, wanted us to have right um, you know there have been quite a few regime changes recently uh, Richard in in North Africa you know Egypt Tunisia now we see Libya, various other places, lots of changes going on. What do you think is going on here? Do you think do you think there's uh, maybe the CIA might have a hand in some of these, destabilizing some of these countries, or or what's going on here? Um, it, it, I, it certainly has nothing to do with liberty or freedom or anything like that, because the people in that part of the world have no heritage of what we we regard as liberty or freedom. Um, that's not to say that they're wrong or anything. They've just got their way of thinking, and we have our way of thinking. Yeah. And, you know, when they use a word like freedom, they aren't talking about the same thing that you and I are talking about. Mm -hmm. In fact, they haven't worked out yet what they mean by it. Um, and that's a really good point, actually. Uh, there, uh, There's going to be a lot of... Uh, commotion over there um, after they get rid of their existing governments about you know what they're going to replace them with because they don't have any agreement over there about what type of government anybody should have now a lot of them want um, a government based on Sharia which is Islamic law mm -hmm. and then there are others who want some sort of secular system <clears throat> if you want to look at a microcosm of the whole thing look at Turkey uh, since the 1920s, I think it is, they they have been, uh, you know, actually had a, had a few um, military coups and other kinds of, of serious violence, trying to decide what kind of government they ought to have, and and they still haven't decided. They're still fighting with each other about it. So, um, you know, what you have in North Africa is in in uh, Syria, uh, other parts of the Middle East, is a lot of people that hate the government they have so much that they're willing to um, just take the chance of setting up another one that they don't know anything about. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and they, they've actually chosen the devil they don't know over the devil they do know. Mm -hmm. And the U.S. government, by getting into this thing, has done exactly the same thing. It's, it's chosen the devil it doesn't know over the devil it does know. And we don't know, obviously, you know, what these new governments are going to be like or who they're going to hate or who they're going to try to hurt. Um, we don't know any of that. Uh, yeah. It's just all up in the air. And I think the reason the U.S. is in it is because that's what this government does. It, mm -hmm. it meddles in other people's lives. And this is not the U.S. government, the American government. Um, and it's more like the British government of the, the 19th century. It just sticks its nose into everybody's business. Mm -hmm. Well, Hillary Clinton said we want them to have a democracy, but we want them to have our kind of democracy, I think is the way she put it. So uh, democracy, of course, wasn't even supposed to be our form of government. I think right. it was a, to be a republic. But, uh, you know, we've um, made the world safe for democracy, which some people call mobocracy. It means that now the, the, the masses of the majority will have the right to rule at the expense of the minority. So it was completely different than what our founding fathers had anticipated. Yeah. You know, I'd like to go back to this. You, you had mentioned this whole notion of, of, of the uh, the need to have um, honest money, and in your September letter, you talk about some of the dangers. You know, I think you and I both believe that this this big problem of malinvestment is coming to a head. It's accelerating, and one way or another, there's going to be a lot of problems, a lot of trouble ahead of us. Mm -hmm. um, 
And and you talked about if the government forces us to continue using its paper money, and we know you know we know what happened in France. In France, um, you know, going back to the French Revolution, the people, the farmers, refused to send their food to the cities anymore because they were required to take the crappy fiat money. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think? Uh, you know, and we see Utah, the state of Utah, and various governments now with a movement to try to make gold and silver legal tender. Uh, so one question is, do you think that has a chance of succeeding? I can't imagine that the central government here, the Federal Reserve and the, uh, you know, the president, the executive branch and the Congress would allow that. Uh, so, but what do you think? Do you think there's a chance that that can happen, that we could actually have states, could we could decentralize a little bit and that their monetary system and states could actually have gold and silver as money? And let's say that they don't allow that and they force us to keep using uh, paper money and they keep devaluing the paper money, what's going to come of it? And then how might we protect ourselves against uh, against that kind of an outcome? Well, I, I think there there is not likely to be a direct, um, uh, let's say, declaration that gold and silver are going to be money or anything like that. I think markets are going to do it. Markets are in the process of doing it Mm -hmm. now. Um, People are simply going to select forms of wealth that they have more confidence in than they have confidence in in the paper money. Um, And in fact, the September issue of Early Warning Report has a lengthy article about that, um, about how I think it's going to unfold. And and this is my guess. I could be entirely wrong, but um, my guess is that that there's well, there is a facility in the banking system right now that's not being used that can cause this to happen, and that is that it's possible to to just simply transfer assets out of one account and into another account. Um, uh, You could call up your stockbroker and say, "I want to move 100 shares of, of BHP stock." Um, out of my account and into John Doe's account. And there's not going to be a, a sale or anything involved there. It's just going to move straight from my account to that account. Mm-hmm. That, now, that facility um, is totally legal, and it's used mostly in, in uh, estate cases where somebody dies and, and mm-hmm. assets are just transferred from one person's account to another. Mm-hmm. I think probably what will happen is people will start using that facility for doing um, big transactions like like home sales. Mm. The, the, uh, there will be a case where a person will agree on a price, but it will be weeks or months until he's actually going to get the money, and he's going to be afraid of a uh, devaluation during that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, devaluations can wipe out like 25 percent of the value of the money like overnight. Sure. And, and he'll be scared of that. So what he will do is say. The the you know I agree on two hundred thousand for the house, but it has to be paid in in these terms, and he will mm-hmm. specify a hundred shares of BHP, uh, twenty five ounces of gold, mm-hmm. um, and whatever other assets that he, you know maybe um, fifty thousand dollars worth of Swiss francs. Mm-hmm. He'll have a, a list of assets that he he will be paid in mm-hmm. down the road, mm-hmm. and what will happen is that. People will start experimenting with baskets of assets, and you know, at first there will probably be thousands of baskets of assets that will be traded, and at, at some point, those, those the less uh, the less successful ones will shake out, and we'll wind up with maybe a half a dozen baskets that will be used around the world, um, and each of those baskets will require a name or will acquire a name. And um, that that name will be the new currency, the name of that basket. And in those baskets, there will be gold, silver, and platinum, and um, there will be all all sorts of other assets. Um, I can envision a mix that, like I, I just said, a mix mm-hmm. like it contains some, maybe some Swiss francs, maybe some gold, some silver, some oil, some mm-hmm. copper. Mm-hmm. Um, in various mixes, and people will settle on what it is they have the most confidence in, and that'll be the new money. Interesting. No government, yeah, no government will have anything to do with it. They won't, you know. The markets are simply going to do it. Yeah. They're going to evolve these new monies, and I well, can point out that's where monies come from in the first place. Now, you can trace the history of any kind of currency you want as far back thousands of years. 
Yeah. Um, governments that, do not it, invent monies; they sure. involve them. Right. Well, they involve them, and then with the point uh, at the point of a gun, force us to use their money by law, fiat money, which is really, it's not money that the market's chosen. Um, the markets are now overriding, I would argue, with gold at 1900 bucks and silver knocking on the door of 50 and, uh, you know, people around the world are saying we don't trust paper money anymore. Richard, this is just incredibly um, interesting talking with you. Okay. We are out of time again. We've got to go. Unfortunately, I had a, a couple more pages of questions that I wanted to ask you. <laughs> but, you know, those questions can be answered, folks, if you subscribe to Richard's excellent newsletter. I do. It's one of the few newsletters, you know, when it comes in the mail, and it does still come in the mail. I guess you can get it electronically as well, right, Richard? Uh, no. It's no. Okay. It is a, it's still in the mail. You do have a website, and there's some information on the website that you can get information from. But but uh, U.S. and World Earning uh, Early Warning Report by Richard Mayberry, is, it comes back a long history, actually, I believe uh, previously Congressman Paul, uh, that you had acquired this letter from Congressman Paul, and it was a different name then, but Ron Paul told me one time that he, when he re-entered Congress, he had sold this letter to you. Uh, of course, it's your letter now, and it's just, it's very unique, folks. You know, if you want to get... You just heard Richard talking about how the monetary system may evolve. I haven't heard anybody else talk about ideas like that. If you want really unique ideas and ideas that have proven to be right on the money for a long period of time, then I think you owe it to yourself and your family to check out U.S. and World Early Warning Report. Richard, how can people get in touch with you? How can they subscribe? Uh, okay, uh, I'll uh, give you an 800 number, um, but before I do that, uh, our um, website is uh, richardmayberry.com, and, uh, and well, let me point out that um, I didn't buy the newsletter from Ron Paul. Um, he gave me his newsletter because oh. my he felt my viewpoint was the closest to his viewpoint, and he yep. wanted his readers to be mm -hmm. reading the same sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so he just handed it over to me because of that. Um, and anyhow, so our website is uh, uh, richardmayberry.com, and the phone number is 800-509-5400. Um, and uh, the, the normal uh, masthead price of the newsletter is $300, but if uh, people will mention that they heard about me on Jay Taylor's program, then the name Jay Taylor will get you a 50% discount. So oh, how about that, folks? I like that a lot. Uh, Richard, again, repeat that telephone number again because some people might have missed it. And okay. 800? 800-509-5400. Excellent. Well, thank you, Richard, very, very much for spending your precious time with us. It's really always a pleasure, very, very um, stimulating talking to you. Uh, I want to thank you again, and I hope we can have you on again sometime soon. Well, well folks, don't go away. Uh, we're going to be right back after the break with John Merrick, and he will help us uh, take a look at the Fed's balance sheet for some hints as to what the Fed is really doing, what they're actually doing, as opposed to what they sometimes are saying they're doing. We're going to really try to understand, if we can, what the Fed is really doing so we can protect ourselves as best as possible. That, along with uh, the many excellent ideas you just heard from Richard Mayberry, these are the reasons you need to listen to this show every week, folks. Don't go away. I'll be right back with John Merrick. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Merrick's Gold, with over 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits in West Mali, Africa. Merrick's and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $16 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. 40,000 meters of diamond and reverse circulation drilling currently underway to expand Merrick's indicated resource and to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. Exploration also continues on the huge gold anomaly at Zone Bambadinka, as well as the major gold system on the Babara and Kofia permits. 
Romeo's Gold offers unprecedented opportunities in the final frontier of British Columbia's Golden Triangle, a copper gold rich region with improving infrastructure. Romeo's properties are located in the vicinity of multi-billion dollar deposits. With its $6 million plus drilling program underway, Romeo's Gold is focused on developing world-class mineral resources in a major upcoming mining district. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Rypatch Gold Corp. is an exploration company seeking to build a sizable inventory of gold and silver resource assets in mining-friendly Nevada, the world's fourth richest gold region. This well-funded company now has 1.2 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the measured and indicated category, plus 2.7 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the inferred category, with ongoing drilling to achieve a goal of 10 million ounces of gold. For more info on RPM, please visit our website at www.rypatchgold.com Voice America Business Network The bottom line in business Welcome to the human race Some kind of love and ride I'll be sliding down I'll be gliding down Try not to try to You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me, for the first time, John Merrick. Because my interview with Richard Mayberry was a little longer than I had anticipated, my time with John today will be a bit shorter than I had hoped, but I do hope to have him back next week. John Merrick uh, has a BBA in accounting uh, from Texas A&M and an MBA uh, that specialized in banking. He was an accountant and a financial analyst at Enron Corp., then joined the U.S. Navy to pursue his lifelong dream to fly. He is currently a U.S. Navy contractor and reserve officer engaged in naval and aviation training. Through independent research, uh, John set out to understand what is money. That drew him to intellects like Murray Rothbard, Edwin Vieira, Garrett Garrett, Benoit Mendelbrot, and Nassim Talib. Recognizing the central bank as the heart of money uh, monetary structure, he focused his attention to the mechanics of the Fed. He studied uh, many Fed documents. Two were key in his thinking. One was the modern money mechanics, and the second one was the Federal Reserve System purpose and functions. In 2009, John created his blog, Economic Crisis Watch, which helps individuals understand what the Fed is really doing as opposed to their public statements. 
you can go to that blog site. It's uh, the site is economiccrisiswatch.blogspot.com to follow the Fed policy and U.S. monetary policy. Welcome, John, to turning hard times into good times. Well, thank you for having me, Jay. Well, it's really a pleasure to have you. Um, we uh, we met through a mutual friend, actually your uncle, uh, Tommy uh, Tillich, I think is his last name. Tilgen. Uh, Tilgen, sorry. Um, yeah, and we and I met up with uh, Tommy at a at a show uh, where I was speaking, and I talked about uh, my inclination towards a deflation view of the world, and uh, and we had a lot of things that we agreed with, and then he talked to me about your detailed work that you do and have done in terms of, uh, of digging into the numbers in the Federal Reserve balance sheet. Uh, and I thought that it would be really worthwhile uh, to sort of pursue your thinking and, and your understanding of what is really going on. You know, because we have a very short day today, I, I hope that we can have you back next week. Would you be willing to come back with us next week? Absolutely. Well, fantastic. Then what I'd like to do today is just to sort of give our listeners an introduction to you and your work and then come back next week and look at it in more detail. If you could tell our listeners about your blog, what is there and why did you create it? Well, gladly. Um, uh, first, let's start off why I created it. Uh, essentially, I've created the blog after following the crisis, an economic crisis that began to develop in late 2007 and throughout 2008 and then uh, then uh, bottoming in 2009. And I felt it wasn't over. I felt it had to continue onward. Therefore, I really wanted to create something that was, in a way, a place where I could gather my thoughts, a place, a central location I could go to and have links to get to the sites I often go to anywhere in the world, and then also as a tool to really keep in touch with Tommy, since he has been such a great mentor to me in understanding how markets and economy work, and also with other family members. So it's a good tool, and then anyone else who may stumble upon it would gladly want to share the information that I come across. And then another reason, not only just keeping up with what's currently happening in the economic crisis, with we we are uh, very much deeply embedded into obviously today and continuing, I believe, for many more years to come, is I I really wanted to give an educational place for people to go. I, I had a the formal education in accounting, in um, finance, and then an MBA, and I and I still felt like I did not really understand what money is, or just really fundamental about it. So, I, just through the internet, I came across many videos I felt were educational, could really keep people. Um, uh, people who don't have a business background, and in mm -hmm. some cases I think that may help because mm -hmm. you haven't been necessarily brainwashed or mm -hmm. maybe wrong way of thinking uh, in certain areas. And and one of the first videos I stumbled upon was one that was called Money is Debt, and it it's a cartoon kind of um, depiction of what money is, and, and it, it breaks it down, I think, easily, uh, in a most easy way I've been able to find to really – tell people what it is and I think when I had to watch it three times in order to really start understanding what what they were portraying and mm -hmm. if you go to the website it is I have a long list under and I call it understanding the economic crisis 101 video presentations and it's the first one and then mm -hmm. from there there were there I added further uh, videos uh, presentations and that just basically, I put them in the order I felt were mo the first one being the most important, working on the way down. And a lot of them refer to the why we got to where we were in 2008. And and I feel really give uh, people a, a good introduction or understanding of what, what has happened. And then I went on to create Crisis Video 201 and then 301 if you really wanted to get in the weeds and learn further uh, about uh, the current situation and just how uh, modern mecha money mechanics work mm -hmm. um, was added as well. Well, I hope that we can uh, delve into some of the mechanics 
and, and help people who are inclined to want to look into that to uh, have the basic understanding to allow them to do that. Also, I hope that we will be able to, perhaps you can help us understand uh, by looking at those numbers what the Fed is really doing as opposed to what the propaganda may suggest they are doing because most people don't dig deep. They just basically watch uh, the, the modern, uh, the, the mainstream media for information and go from there and believe, sort of naively believe what Mr. Bernanke is saying is exactly uh, the truth. And I guess those of us that have been around a little longer sometimes uh, are a little more skeptical. Uh, what we almost are almost out of time, but what I'd like to ask you to do, if you could just sort of briefly define for people today what money is, and then we'll get into it in more detail next week. But money used to be asset-based money, or at least to a great extent it was. There was always uh, fractional reserve banking, or there has been at least most of most of the last few hundred years, I suppose. But there was a basis for it. Behind it was gold or silver usually or some asset. Today we have totally uh, – there's no assets behind our money at all now. It's totally liability money. Is that right? Uh, that's correct. And, and the easiest way to explain it is that money is debt. And that, I think, baffles most people's mind when they first hear it. And it definitely did that to me and and I call it a debt backed money system as well and if there is no debt there is no money which will even more uh blow people's minds but that's just the fundamental function of the money system we we live in today in the United States and like you said it was not always that case it slowly integrated over time which we can get into more detail in the future yeah, I, I hope we can next week. And the way I look at it is, um, and I, I like to tell people that debt is the raw material from which money is created in a fiat currency system. Would you agree with that? Yes. So that when you go out and take a car loan out or a mortgage to to, uh, to buy a house, you're doing your part to increase money, the money supply. Is that right? Yes. So we can get into the into the mechanics of that. And one of the reasons that I am more of a deflationist than an inflationist is because I see what's happening with all the creation of money. It means that debt is growing very, very rapidly. In fact, when I look at the total debt, I see an exponential growth of total debt, all sectors of the U.S. economy, and I'm seeing income growing in a linear fashion, if at all. And I see this growing gap between debt and income, and it tells me, without a degree in, uh, in neurosurgery, that something's got to give, that it can't continue on. And I think most people are in agreement with that, but most people, or a lot of at least gold bugs, believe that we're going to go into a hyperinflation, and then there are those of us who believe the likelihood of going into a deflation uh, is greater. So I hope that we can maybe talk about some of those issues, but digging deeper with you and your knowledge and your background, understand a little more in depth the the mechanics as you put it the mechanics of the federal of the of our of our system of our fiat currency system and it really is mysterious isn't it john because you know i think asset based money is un, easy to understand you dig it out of the ground you know you gold and silver it's tangible it has value in its own right and then you have something called debt and it's money you know and it's 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 mysterious and people spend their entire lives just trying to get more and more of it, yet they don't understand what it is, is yeah. what's even more amazing. Nor do people really want to deep, get deep into understanding it. But I think as people see what's going on around us today, more and more people are definitely becoming more interested in what what is money. I agree with you 100%. As it starts to affect people's lives, they're starting to ask questions, and that's why shows like this are very important and are gaining uh, popularity and why people like you are so important to listen to. John, uh, we've got to <clears throat> excuse me, we've got to uh, finalize our show this week. I'm going to have to uh, say goodbye to you now, but I really do look forward to having you come on next week. And there, I have so many questions to ask you. We're going to get into what is money and, and try to help our 
our listeners understand what it is that they are working so hard to gain and and why uh, we need to really understand what money is so we can protect ourselves uh, in this increasingly dangerous world that we live in. Thank you so much for being with us, and I uh, look forward to talking to you next week. Folks, don't go away. I'm going to be right back after the commercial break for a wrap-up on today's show. Don't go away. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters voice america business network the bottom line in business welcome to the human race some kind of love and right You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. My engineer is telling me we have only about three minutes, so I have to get moving with what I want to tell you. This is very important, and we are seeing the profit margins of, my, of major gold mining companies rising very dramatically. There's, three, there's seven different companies that I follow, I mean, the earnings of. We started in 2008 with the, these companies would be Agneagle Eagle, Anglo Gold, Barrick, Goldfields, Gold Corp, Kinross Gold Corp, uh, Newmont, and Yamana Gold. Uh, in 2008, they earned collectively $6.30. In 2009, at the end of the year, remember that's when Lehman Brothers took place, it went up to $7.94. Then with the higher margins, we went to $13 uh, in 2010. $20 is estimated $21 in 2011, $26 in 2012. Buy the gold shares and the junior mining gold shares. Chris Krupe's company that we talked to, also next week we're going to be talking to Rye Patch, also has a multi-million ounce deposit being formed in Nevada. Eric's Gold Corp will be on our show next week as well. You'll want to listen to that story. They have a rising deposit, a growing deposit in Namibia. Well, that's all the time we do have time for this week. Thanks again for listening. In closing, I want to thank Tacey Trump, my senior executive producer, Justin Jackman, my engineer, for making this show logistically possible. Thanks to each of you for listening. Goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now the thing 